0: Okay.
1: Good Thursday afternoon, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seaville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to connect with you on this network in downtown Charlottesville, a city that we just love so, so, so dearly, so much so that we've named the company I Love Seaville. And and on a daily basis, at least Monday through Friday, We talk topics that matter to Charlottesville, to Albemarle County, and to Central Virginia, to the Commonwealth. We take topics that maybe are national and global, and we try to localize and personalize and humanize them. Today's guest embodies localize, personalize, and humanize, and it's Peter Krebs. You may see Peter, guys, championing the Rivanna River. You may see Peter celebrating all the walking trails and hiking trails that we have around this community. You may see Peter Krebs watching a city manager press conference like he did yesterday as we clung, at, certainly me, at the edge of my seat to see who the next CEO of this city was going to be. And I'm very excited to talk about Sam Sanders today. I see quite a bit of folks in City Hall watching the program as we speak. I'd be remiss not to give Judah Wickower some love. He is the the metronome the engine the the key player behind the scenes um and we try to give them props on a daily basis judah wickhauer uh, if you could let's welcome a man that needs no introduction peter krebs to the program of the piedmont environmental council my friend good afternoon hey great to be here thanks for having me it's an absolute pleasure mm-hmm. um, you watched the press conference yesterday um, as closely, in fact, more closely than I did. I think you mentioned before the show about 40 minutes of your time on the press conference. At
0: least, probably more. Probably yeah.
1: more. Um, I watch for the first, I'd say, half an hour or so. Um, I don't want to speak for you. I'll give my opinion, but you're the guest, so this is your show. Sam Sanders, the new city manager, what do you make of that news? I'm so,
0: so excited. Yeah, what a great choice. We were lucky to have him here before in his previous role. He, I don't know if he was specifically auditioning for the role, but um, he he did amazing in his uh, previous and I guess until yesterday maybe role, and I, I'm so excited to see what he can um, do in the future. If I may, I'd like to elaborate why, and there are a couple of reasons. Uh, number one uh, he gets it about how Charlottesville works like he completely understands but he's also just a, a very personable very warm individual he listens well he listens to everybody um, he has a sterling reputation I think both uh, with citizenry and also with partners and uh, other localities uh, a lot of people trust him and
1: with good reason. So I'm really excited. We're going to play some video and some audio from the press conference yesterday, which Judah has done a good job editing and producing for, for this show. Um, I concur with Peter. Um, I'm going to utilize a couple of phrases. One, institutional memory. Institutional memory has been lacking in City Hall for a little while because there's been a high level of turnover and attrition. And if you talk to small business owners, if you talk to developers, if you talk to heads of nonprofits and community stakeholders, they will often mention that turnover and attrition and how it's made interacting with City Hall a little bit more arduous.
0: And, and Sam really arrested that. That that was very noticeable when when he came in.
1: That's 100% correct. Yes. Another phrase I think we're both going to agree upon here, and it's a phrase that I think initially, in fact, I know it originated on this talk show, was the phrase boring government. Um, We know that leadership in City Hall watches the show and joins us on the program, and we've begged, if not pleaded, City Hall, to go back to the days of being boring and in the background and consistent like a metronome, Peter? Yeah,
0: so I grew up in a civil service family, so I I understand completely what that means. Now, I'm going to clarify, it doesn't mean that the people in government are boring people. Like, absolutely not. But um, having uh, ability to have rational discussions that um, are outcome-focused is just wonderful. I
1: love it. Um, Judah Wickower has a video of Mayor Snook and new city manager Sam Sanders that we're about to play. It's about a four-minute video. Peter and I have seen this video firsthand. It was in the early stages of the press conference. I would imagine there's many in the community that are not maybe as... I don't want to use attentive, but watch these meetings as closely as Peter and I. If anything, I would say we're almost junkies for local government. Is that fair? Yeah, guilty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We just, we we crave this. Guilty as charged. So, so what we'd like to do is take the first four minutes and for you to see Mayor Snook introduce Sam Sanders to this community, because we know this phone um, is in your hands and content is in your newsfeed, and we're trying to take that news feed and percolate it with knowledge about our community. So Judah, if, if you could play that sizzle reel in three, in two, and in one.
2: When we launched the search for our next city manager, we had some characteristics that we all agreed on. We wanted someone with experience, with solid judgment, an innovative and problem-solving spirit, a strong commitment to making government help people who need help, a servant's heart, a sense of humor, and the ability to walk on water was seen as a plus. (laughs) As we talked with staff and community members, we heard a strong desire for stability. And one factor that both staff and community members expressed with great specificity make sure that our new hire won't chase away our excellent deputy city managers, Sam Sanders and Ashley reynolds Marshall. One of our consultants referred to Sam and Ashley both as superstars in the making. We had more than 20 applicants for the city manager job and our recruiting firm screened the applicants for us. We wound up interviewing four candidates. Our applicant pool was diverse. We had men, women, black people, white people, young, less young. And all all had a few important similarities. They all had experience at top levels of municipal leadership. They all had had success. They all had done their homework to understand the challenges that this job brings. They all saw in the Charlottesville job an opportunity to help a city that had been through some tough times recently. As our thinking progressed, it became obvious that the absolute best choice, the person we all agreed on, the person who met these criteria to be our next city manager, is our current deputy city manager for operations, Sam Sanders. And at our Monday meeting, we expect to officially vote to hire Sam Sanders as the next city manager for Charlottesville. Sam came to Charlottesville about two years ago from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He'd been running the Mid-City Redevelopment Alliance, a large nonprofit with a mission of revitalizing a section of Baton Rouge that is almost as populous as the city of Charlottesville. He has experience with housing and other social programs and with making those programs work. When he came to Charlottesville, he was put in charge of departments and divisions dealing with areas like housing, transit, public works, planning, zoning. In some of those departments, he found dysfunction. He has quietly but effectively dealt with those dysfunctional areas. When we talked with community members, we heard how much they valued his work in making those departments more effective. One staff member I talked to had a description of Sam that I thought was particularly apt. This person called Sam a a humble problem solver, and that's the kind of person that Charlottesville needs at this moment. That's why we have chosen Sam. When we launched the search for...
3: So let me start by thanking council for selecting me to serve as the next city manager, Uh, and while I am not a fan of the pomp and circumstance, right now I know that this this is about me and this announcement, so I'll accept the focus for a little bit, and then I'll let you get back to your day. Um, But I am thankful for the opportunity to be the next city manager for the city of Charlottesville. It's a big job, and I'm ready to give it my all. I believe I bring a unique perspective, having been in the trenches here for the past two years, learning and trying to understand what makes this place tick. I have been able to settle into what I've learned, and I've remained here because I really see ways in which I can contribute. I step forward to lead a capable, competent, and caring team of professionals who are doing great work, and who need and deserve the proper recognition for having done so. Charlottesville has a rich and complicated history. I acknowledge that. And we have a lot to work on, and there's still a lot to turn that into something that can be featured in a compelling story about our city, a story that outlines how a city can reconcile its many layers for its present and future, which should be framed by access and opportunities for all residents to thrive. Our little city is on the world map and I am encouraged that it is not simply because of the events of 2017. What I want to see is us achieve an evolution from that series of events to reclaim our narrative and one that will inspire us and other communities will desire. That was Sam Sanders at
1: his introductory press conference. He was introduced by the Mayor Lloyd Snook of Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, Mayor Snook will join us on this program in seven days on the 20th of July. Peter What struck you from the press conference? Um, Why are you bullish or positive of the future of Charlottesville under the new CEO, Sam Sanders? And what will you be watching closely?
0: Yeah, so a couple of things jumped right out at me about uh, the things that Sam spoke. Uh, First of all, I think it's very clear um, that he approaches his work with great humility. I, that's so important um, for any kind of leader to be humble and leaning into what they don't know and being curious um, but especially within government I think um, uh, not thinking of oneself as the one with all the answers is really essential uh, for success I, I think we saw that uh he's going to be a hard worker. We we knew that before, and I think it was um, underlined uh, um, within the press conference. And I, I think another thing that also jumped out at me, and it kind of alludes to the point you made about attrition, is it was noteworthy how much he was emphasizing his first order of business is, in fact, getting a deputy. And that's been a refrain that we've heard from uh, Sam this whole time. Again, not being one with all the answers, he's been very clear about when he needs help and when it's time to ask for help. And he's been very methodical about building a team. And, you know, we're seeing that, like going from past behavior to future plans. I love it.
1: I agree a thousand percent with what he just said. A couple follow-ups before we go to the next topic. And um, our our friend Deep Throat, he goes by the handle Anonymous on Twitter. He's watching in Montana. He asked some of these questions. Um, why do we think it took this long when the hire was made in-house? Um, that's the first question. Um, and then the second question, do we think his number one goal is the stabilization, to use a phrase of Lloyd Snook and city council, stabilizing the organization. I'll take it a step further, stabilizing staff and getting bodies in those, those open seats.
0: Yeah. So I'll speak to the first one first, oh. uh, which is that uh, anyone who follows the city government knows that we've had quite a succession of city managers. In fact, I believe we've had multiple ones on the payroll at the same time.
1: Eight city managers since 2018, including one, Mark Woolley, who quit the day before he was going to take the job.
0: So I I think most people would agree that doing the search well rather than doing it fast was the priority. And... For me, it's also about humble, again, like sometimes I think I've found an answer, like with the first question I ask. But within my role of connecting communities and, and getting people together, it's important to hear all of it out. And it's great when your first suspicion is confirmed, but you better not go with your first gut instinct on something like hiring the city manager. Um, Now, I can't speak to uh, what his priorities are going to be, but I I can say that uh, the uh, first uh, stopping the attrition and then methodically building the staff has been um, his, his M.O. throughout. Even when I've been asking for stuff, he said, hold on, Haas, I need to build my team up. So that's just my experience, and again, it's what he said, but time will
1: tell. Well said. Peter Krebs has already got comments coming in, and if you want to give Peter some props, put them in the feed, and I will relay them live on air. Let's go to John Blair watching in Stanton. We love you, JB. He says, the hiring of new city manager is an opportunity for renewal. May this new page in the city's history start a chapter of prosperity for all. I will give that comment props. I concur a thousand percent. I'll throw this to Peter as well. Now this is a little bit of us looking into a crystal ball or guessing, but I think we can use this, we can use context clues to make this um, conjecture. He was a former, former deputy and he worked for nearly two years under the Robert Bob Group's Michael C. Rogers. Maybe what council did was utilize that as a training program or, or a tryout or an opportunity to get in the proverbial you weight know, room to work on conditioning. And once they realized that um, Sam, Mr. Sanders, has got the experience and the foundation while learning from Michael C. Rogers, who's an extremely experienced city executive, mm-hmm. maybe they felt inclined then to offer him the job and keep that institutional memory in house. Your thoughts on all that?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, again, I can't speak to intention, but I think think the effect of his experience certainly was, you know, heavy weight room action, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the the. Um, real strength that he brings I I imagine the other candidates were probably qualified too but I can say for sure that I'm really happy with Sam being
1: here Final question. And Johnny Ornalis, the owner of Guadalajara and, Mar- and El Mariachi, just shared the show. Guys, do us a favor and take the show and share it to your Facebook pages. Albert Graves, hello and welcome to the program. One of the TV stations watching Peter Krebs on the show. If you'd love to give Peter some props, put it in the feed, and we'll relay it live on air. I'll throw this to you. Were you surprised that Michael C. Rogers was not the pick? Um,
0: I. No, I, I don't think that, that uh, Sam being the pick is at all surprising in any way. Um, I, I, I like, you know, Michael Rogers. He, he was awesome. He gave some specific reasons why this wasn't his thing. I take all that at face value, but I would also say that um, the, the final pick was, was a very solid one.
1: You handle that extremely well, yeah. Peter Krebs. Um, comments coming in fast and furious. Jonas Smith, hello. Welcome to the program. I'll throw this, the next topic, as we rotate those lower thirds. Um, Michael Kocches, the police chief, joined us on the program um, earlier in the week. I thought he was um, truly amazing. It was a it was a joyful interview, which folks can find online at iloveseville.com. One of the topics that came up was panhandling. And Chief Cotches and the police department are in an interesting predicament. Panhandling, which many of us know, perhaps some don't, is a protected form of free speech. Literally protected form of free speech. It's our right as Americans to panhandle. Chief Cotches indicated that he is getting, and the police department is uh, getting, a lot of calls on panhandling on the downtown mall. And he said that there's a very fine line between panhandling and aggressive panhandling that is almost like getting in someone's face, harassment, or worse, okay? He said, and he made it very clear, we can't do anything as a police department because it's a form of free speech. What he did say, and I'm curious if this was strategic or if it was just came up in conversation, he did say that counsel should it choose, could um, enact an ordinance that disbands or disallows panhandling on the downtown mall. And if that ordinance does come to fruition, then the police department can enforce the ordinance. That's what they could do. So open-ended on that topic, and then I'll ask you specific questions.
0: Yeah, so um, obviously an extraordinarily complex question. And, and I didn't get to see the, the video with the chief, I'd be interested to watch that. Um, uh, I, I have a, a several complexities of my own and nuances of my own within this uh, this question. Uh, first of all, um, I, I ha- have a lot of background in the arts and a lot of cultural, um, uh, you know, cultural roles and. So free expression is, is not like uh, other human rights. It, free expression is, is uh, an important one because it's adjacent to so many other things. So it, it's very hard to draw a line between the right to say something and the right to be something, right? So, so that's why it's extraordinarily important within our... Um, uh, within our system. And um, then also in my current role is one who works on trails and sidewalks and greenways and Uh, pathways and places for people to go and by the way the downtown mall is a greenway it's a park, it's a greenway by Um,
1: definition he's 100% right, the downtown mall is a public park, he's 100% right
0: and it's also uh, the seat of Charlottesville's government, Albemarle's seat is a, a block or two away but not that far maybe some of the issues would apply there so there's that issue Then we also have to weigh um, having all of our public spaces being inclusive and welcoming to everybody. So that goes for um, people ought to feel comfortable to walk down Main Street. They ought to feel safe. They ought to feel not in danger, right? I won't say not threatened because all kinds of things are threatening, right? but they should not feel in fear of harm. And uh, from uh, speaking to people in marginalized communities, there's a whole lot of judging the book by the cover that happens, where, where people who are having a difficult time or even a, um, comporting their selves, themselves in a way that's harmless but very different from other people, there's been a historical lot of exclusion of people, and, and that means loss of rights and opportunity. So this is a really complicated one, and um, I, uh, I I don't have an answer as to whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. One little um, side card that I'll hang on this, and this is my personal opinion only, this is not PCs, but they might agree with me, but having a, a strong background in the arts, I do recognize that there's a difference between free expression and the conduct of economic activity. It is absolutely within the city's purview to limit or facilitate or do whatever it wants when it comes to the conduct of economic activity. That that's a blurry line. Saying, you know, can I have a dollar? Is that an economic exchange or is that an interpersonal exchange? That's complicated.
1: I respect that. I respect that. I'll ask some uh, straightforward questions here. Kevin Yancey watching in Waynesboro, um, and he's got some comments that I will get to in T minus sixty seconds. Juan Sarmiento, I'll get to your comment on Michael C. Rogers. He's the lead technician. Um, at Charlottesville, and give me the exact role here, Juan Sarmiento, and I promise I'll write this down. I believe the lead mechanic um, with Charlottesville's um, uh, vehicle fleet. Um, Kevin Yancey says in Waynesboro, like I've said before, there shall be legal verbiage or legal language that would allow nonprofits to still solicit donations. So here's the catch, and and Chief Katches was very clear to highlight this. If council does do this ordinance that disbands or disallows Makes it illegal to panhandle on the downtown mall that would also apply to the Salvation Army in Christmas time with the red kettle bells and people ringing the bell to get change for this fantastic nonprofit He says we cannot discriminate um, when it comes to panhandling and that was that really opened my eyes like you said it 's a complicated issue right so this came up the next day city hall city council could disband panhandling, make it illegal, which would then give the police department the leverage to enforce no panhandling. And then a nonprofit could go to City Hall for a special permit or a special license, maybe you know the exact words that I don't, um, that they would pay a nominal fee for the special permit or the special license to do panhandling for a short period of time. That would basically turn City Hall into the panhandling gatekeepers. So city hall
0: already is the gatekeeper of economic activity on the downtown. That's right. Mall. The they're, merchants that sell stuff. they well, you know, selling both the panhandler and the Salvation Army. I suppose are selling karma, right?
1: So uh, I wouldn't think the panhandler. I'm not saying they're the same. Thing, okay. Yeah, but. Yet
0: when you boil it down, like it is sort of the same thing. It's one person saying these folks need stuff give me some money or please give me some money or whatever and another group is saying I personally you know have have this need i I um, I would when I talk to folks uh, also about like what it takes to have maybe a a safe park. Imagining it's like, um, imagining we're talking about Dart and Park instead of the downtown mall. Um, Having a heavy police presence, a heavy-handed police activity is not something people want to see in their parks. And I can tell you for sure it's something that not a lot of people are going to want in the downtown mall.
1: So um, I'll play devil's advocate with you. Yeah. Devil's advocate. And this is a, it's a topic that is, like you've highlighted, nuanced and complicated. Mm-hmm. Certainly good fodder for a talk show. Right. Because there's so many layers to the onion. You mentioned Darden Tau, the example. Dart and Tau is not an economic driver of incremental tax revenue right. for a jurisdiction. Right. The city of Charlottesville, these eight blocks, as important as any in the city, except for maybe Barracks Road Shopping Center, mm-hmm. from an incremental tax revenue standpoint. So I'm not sure, and, and I'm doing this very respectfully, very respectfully, that it's an apples to apples comparison. Oh, of course it's not apples
0: to apples, and you know you mentioned Barracks Road, which is private property. That's very, right. Very different situation. So uh, that it, that's what, in my view, that's what democracy is for. Like we need to hash out our competing values. Like in a perfect world, we want you know flourishing completely unencumbered uh, merchants yeah, like just kicking butt doing great and in a perfect world we also want for people to be able to say whatever they want ask anybody any question ever and nobody to ever feel threatened or uh, unsafe but of course that apple doesn't exist right so so then all the the various um, wisdoms of Charlottesville are going to have to come together and um, figure that out. And we have city council for hashing out those sorts of competing ideas. You know, I, it, it is complicated. If I really sat and thought, maybe I'd have an answer. But I, I don't know even if I did you know, spend days and days
1: thinking about it. It's that hard of an issue to figure out. Um, This point was made on Twitter um, that the Salvation Army could probably digitalize, digitalize its panhandling or its kettlebell ringing um, and drive considerably more revenue by saying to the Charlottesville and Central Virginia community, we would like to pull our efforts off the mall for the betterment of merchants downtown and in return for doing this we ask that you support us through this link on our website and I would bet if that campaign or that perception or that advertising was managed correctly they would get I don't even want to guess how much but way more the donation revenue than having a couple people ringing a bell downtown
0: Mm -hmm. so well number one I I I personally would not agree that having the bell ringing by the salvation army on the downtown mall would make it better i think that might make it worse and why do you think that well it it is just in you know my sort of cultural memory it, it it's part of the holiday season you know so so you're so, saying
1: that's part of the the pomp and the circumstance and the, um, maybe that's not the best phrase, part of the um, the good feelings yeah, of the well, holidays.
0: Well, and it, it um, more than that, it communicates very clearly that this is a community that's uh, interested in taking care of each other, mm. right? And that's why I also would, I would not agree that it's definitely better to not have people asking for money on the downtown mall, because that is also part of the dynamic of us caring about each other. I I think that there uh, uh, are many, many situations that are not okay that involve uh, implicit threats or, heaven forbid, actual threats or actual violence. but the the act of of having people asking for stuff, whether it's an opinion or uh, buy a sandwich in my shop or uh, help me get a, a bite to eat, I, I feel like all of that is part of a a vibrant community, and uh, it's sort of a question of moderating behaviors
1: that is important I love it you always have a good take on this stuff Um, Dylan's rule on Twitter thank you for retweeting the show if you guys could do us the favor of sharing that would be fantastic Um, we'll head to the next topic before we do Juan Sarmiento has got one on the previous topic and he's the head technician with the Charlottesville Fleet Department okay Um, they watch um, in the shop often Um, and he asked this question it's a good question for a talk show It will require us to do a little bit of thinking outside the box. Mm -hmm. He says, do you think that Michael Rogers was told privately that he was not one of the finalists? Actually, we know he was the finalist, one of the finalists, because Mayor Lloyd Snook, the last time he was on the show, told us that he was a finalist, Michael C. Rogers, for the city manager job. So I'll paraphrase um, Juan's comment. Do you think Michael Rogers was told privately that he would not get this job so so he saved face, and the city allowed him to save face by giving him him an opportunity to withdraw from this race. We broke the news that he had withdrawn from the city manager um, job search with the letter that he wrote, which we read and showed on screen. That's going to require absolutely a little bit of a conjecture from us. Um, so your thoughts on that topic from Juan Sarmiento. Um,
0: so, so that would be like actually total conjecture. Total conjecture. And so, for a talk show. <laughs> so um, I, I don't think it's, it's useful for me to ponder that question. And I try to avoid pondering things that are not Things that make me better or that make my community better. Totally,
1: totally. And he's got a role in a position with with the Piedmont Environmental Council that he's got to be mindful, mindful of. And I respect him too yeah, I, much. I
0: don't even have a personal opinion. It, okay, I yeah. respect
1: you too much to push on that. Yeah. Um uh Juan, I'll give my opinion on that. I do think there's some truth to that. I do think there's some truth to that, especially in the top of the ninth inning of Michael C. Rogers offering that letter. Um, and pulling himself out of the race. I think it was made clear that Mr. Sam Sanders was going to get the job. I I do think there's some truth to that. Let's go to the next topic. Lisa Custolo is watching on Cherry Avenue. A lot of folks in Crozet watching, including Chad Wood, one of the finest tailbacks in Western Elmoral High School history. Um, I want to go to High Street. When people found out you were coming on this show, this was the topic that people reached out to me about. And I asked Mayor Lloyd Snook about this the last time he was on the show. Wendell Wood owns a large parcel of land on High Street next to the Rivanna River. Wendell Wood is in an on-paper partnership, a joint venture if you may, with Bo Carrington, a former standout lacrosse player at the Covenant School. He played lacrosse at Duke University, now in the developer world here in Central Virginia. This on-paper partnership would bring, and I'll cue up Sean Tubbs' story here in a matter of moments to get the exact specifics, but a boatload of apartments mm-hmm. on the banks of the Rivanna River. And it's got folks on High Street. It's got folks in the neighborhoods around High Street barking. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they make very good points. The points they make, as you know, as well as anyone, traffic is a major concern here. It's a two-lane ro- two road. Um, The sidewalks are terrible. Um, The infrastructure setup is not there for apartments. And most importantly, everyone I've talked to has called floodplain. Who would develop apartments in a floodplain? I spoke to the owner of Charlottesville Glass and Mirror a couple days ago, and he said when he was a little boy, and this gentleman is now in his 60s, but when he was a little boy, he remembers the river, the Rivanna River, flooding all the way up to Charlottesville Glass and Mirror. And that's pretty far up High Street, and that's a hill. Right. So we said if there was a flood, and what's the phrase? It's like a sixty-year flood, or something you, you know more 100 about. Hundred-year. Yeah, hundred-year flood. <laughs> they have something like this. It would undoubtedly be second, third floor of this apartment complex. Open-ended question. Anywhere you want to go on this. Right.
0: So. Um, uh, there's a lot going on with that, and. Uh, so I I will say that uh, back in, I I don't know, we're on version four or five of this project. There have been many iterations. When the idea was f- first floated, I pointed out that indeed we do need housing. This is, I, I differ with some of my counterparts in believing that uh, the high street area writ large is where we do want to have people housed because it's uh, close to both downtown and to Pantops, right? Like, Not many people in Charlottesville can walk to a grocery store. Folks who live on High Street can walk to a grocery store. I'm deeply jealous. Two of them! Yeah, so awesome park right there. So, uh, generally speaking, having housing at the core of Charlottesville Albemarle, and you've been with me enough that I see the two as an inseparable one, like this is right at the heart of Charlottesville. So from a um, like, uh, traffic or trips-generated perspective, way better if people live in High Street than out in the rural area or the edge of Pantops or or other places. But this parcel is not a generic high street writ large, right? This is this is a specific parcel that is mainly in the floodplain. What I would have rather have happened is some kind of arrangement where the housing and the parking were built up off of the floodplain, and the floodplain section left alone. Um, it, it's not illegal to submit a lame design but it, it's a pretty lame design and we we've urged them to offer something different and frankly more worthy of the Rivana corridor rather than a giant retaining wall and house you know apartments that face away from it you know on on a pedestal um, Uh... So there's that. And then also something that we're pretty emphatic at PC about, and this goes for both Charlottesville and Albemarle, right? We need to be thinking of the same issues. Climate change is only going to make surface waters more unpredictable and more intense. So Explain that. Okay. So... Uh, my organization worked with Albemarle County to do a risk and vulnerability assessment for Albemarle County. And the landscape, it, Charlottesville is Albemarle from this perspective of like large landscape uh, perspective. Um, what it found is that uh, rain events are, are going to be uh, more intense and more unpredictable. It's not clear whether we're going to necessarily have more total inches of precipitation. But it it is almost certain that those inches of precipitation are going to come in large batches. So flood events that uh, the, the caller referenced back in the day will, you know, are a risk. But actually, the risk is elevated in terms of intensity. So those water levels are going to be higher. So um, broadly speaking, we, we ask for our city and county planners to really, really, really err on the side of caution when it comes to floodplains. So uh, there's that. And um, we've also highlighted issues about the massive amounts of fill origin, uh, composition, uh, unknown. So um, th- this uh, project's a little bit wonky in that it's not a rezoning. It's, it's happening by right, but there are comp plan implications. So it's not really clear how much citizen uh, input is being invited. On this, but many citizens have nevertheless offered their opinion about this project. So,
1: so much. This is a great, mainly negative, right? Mainly negative. This is a great topic. Another great topic for a talk show. Um, there is a large group of homeowners in the High Street corridor that are galvanizing and organizing, and fundraising, and lobbying council to buy this land from Wendell Wood. Almost imploring that council buy this land from Wendell Wood. Wendell Wood, his son, their team, they're fairly sophisticated and nuanced here. Wendell Wood is the largest landowner in Almaro County. They see the political climate. I would imagine their leverage for negotiation is even higher than say this time last year or this time two years ago when this was an afterthought or no one knew about this project. Two part question, should city of Charlottesville buy this land from the largest landowner in Almora County, Wendell Wood and his family? Second part question, if they do buy this land from Wendell Wood, does it not reek of some hypocrisy when city government is trying to upzone or rezone much of this ten point two square mile jurisdiction to create more density when it comes to housing um okay so so i won't
0: um I won't use the word hypocrisy, okay, but there's a dissonance in using public funds to extinguish housing okay
1: what what specifically does that mean that's a big word for me here
0: right Give me- okay so um uh Public funds, obviously, okay, we, yeah. we know that. Yeah, but um, the perception is we we need more housing, and having the city actively suppressing housing it is a um, and I know dissonance is a you know three dime word, but <laughs> you don't think that's hypocrisy or catch 22? So, uh, well with land use every parcel is unique so so it's it's not hypocritical to i'm all for parks right but i don't think the inside of clark elementary should be changed into a park right like situation matters a hundred percent so um but i will say that it it's clear that we need more housing and it's clear that there are challenges here um, I don't think that uh, there is a philosophical problem with engaging with Mr. Wood. I mean, you know, he's, he's a, a citizen with rights, and, you know, he's running a business. Um, I think the, the sort of tactical cost-benefit is, is what is a more interesting and more useful conversation to have so we know that the city's resources are scarce. I can tell you that the, the city's park acquisition funds are nowhere near what they need to be. We're, there are things that we've been working on for decades that are languishing for um, lack of funds. I think that that site would make a fine park. I, I think it would be interesting as be a part of, park. As part of a, a, a park network. But... Um, I don't... I would not support having the city do an about-face on all of its strategic planning to um... extinguish this project. I just got done saying I really don't like. Uh, um, If funding can be created or discovered for it I, even still, I would like for this, that use to be in line with all the other, you know, get in line with all the other priorities. And um, then the other question is the uh, city would have to. Um, They'd pay a premium here. Uh, Wendell yeah. would have them by the. Well, they, they can say no. They it, could it say would no. Be, it would be very easy for them to
1: say no. And then could Wendell and, and Mr. Carrington go by right? Perhaps. 245 so, units. So so this is a talk show, right? Yeah.
0: So I, I will go in talk show mode for you, maybe just this one time. Thank you, Peter. But as I was watching the other versions of this project, okay, and... You know, being a planner, being surrounded by landscape architects. My office mate is a landscape architect. We were watching these versions coming down the pike and wondering if they were even serious development proposals, or if it was only a leverage play. A leverage play. God, I love Peter. And so, so so back in when this whole thing came up, uh, folks approached my organization asking to fundraise to prevent that outcome. And uh, although we we have bought land within the city for parks from well-known developers who have um, not used it as leverage, who have been genuinely interested in contributing to the park network awesome, you know, right-minded landowner, a locality, and an organization like mine come together all the time for land deals, but we're not going to be a tool for some kind of extortion.
1: Uh, Peter Krebs, that was fire right there. I. That was great. End of talk show. No, I respect (laughs) you. Dude, if anyone has watched Peter Krebs on this program, you know this guy's got a big, beautiful brain that is very well connected in this community. I'll throw some nitty-gritty here. The feed is on fire with this here.
0: I I could imagine. I want for this issue to be resolved in a rational policy way.
1: Okay, what does that mean? It
0: means, you know, looking at it strategically as part of the, the park system, looking at the budget as... Budget is a set of exist, you know, existing and on-hold priorities. Like, I, I, I don't want for... Uh, if this acquisition were to make... Made happen, I wouldn't want that to be a freak-out. I want for it to be carefully thought through. And if indeed that is the direction that things go in, I, we could be here to help.
1: I got um, the heat map... Is showing all over high street watching here um <laughs> folks are asking about justin shimp and shimp engineering mm-hmm. his role with this right justin shimp as nuanced with what he does as anyone in this three hundred thousand person market this comments come in via twitter um which i will read directly um well a lot of comments coming in via twitter um do you think um does Peter favor city, this uh, Charlottesville city, adopting the same policy as Albemarle, no building in the floodplain? Albemarle has very strict floodplain ordinances. And the same commenter said that he believes that Shimp Engineering. This is not me saying this, Justin. This is the commenter. I know you follow me on Twitter, and I got nothing but love for what you do. The commenter also says that his firm has 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 tweaked or messed with the floodplain map with all his LOMRs, which is an uh, acronym for letter of map revisions. And the same commenter is saying that the city is willing to throw its weight around when it comes to regular folks with upzoning and their streets and their neighborhoods, but the city is not willing to block a project like this and that it may be a long con, basically a leverage play. Well, and this person is as connected, I, I have to respect this person's anonymity, this is right. deep throat, as connected as anyone I know in the city. Right. So, um,
0: yeah, I, I already spoke to that idea of um, just being a cash play. You know, I, I don't support that. Um, I, it's accurate that uh, this project is by right and... May be possible only because of this, of the 11th hour map revision that was done only to benefit this parcel. In super
1: it, clandestine it, DL fashion.
0: It was It was not part of what I said I want a comprehensive look at the behavior of the Rivana River, right? So, you know. I,
1: you shady, can tell Peter's
0: shady. torn on this. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I'm not torn on that. Okay. That's shady. Okay. You, know, you say that's shady? Yeah, and uh, but shady and legal? Uh, it's that's, that gray area. That's a area. fine distinction. Right, right, right. Um, and then, you know, as uh, pertains to um, shrimp engineering, I, I've i worked with
1: Justin a he lot. He does things I've, the right way in a lot of times. A lot of times. Yeah. So I've yeah.
0: supported a lot of his projects, Very sometimes without a lot of people around me, and, and I've opposed some of his projects. But what I will say about this project is we we have a sort of problem with how stuff gets built, where s- properties that ought to be architected are first engineered. I just got done saying that that this this is a lame project that my architect friends are aghast about. The community's reaction might have been different if it had been. Viewed as an architectural problem rather than a engineering problem. And um, I, I feel fairly certain the project would look different. Uh, for example, there'd probably be a promenade overlooking the river. That's like a, a basic thing that an architect would insist on. Um, but it goes on from there, but. You know, this is not my project. um, I'm not one to approve or or deny it. I'm not, uh, you know, part of the team. There is one other thing that I will say, and I'll um, be—I'll choose my words carefully. It's—it is not the case. I would like for any. Uh, doubts about this to go away, that the city is not um, somehow in in what I've observed only, is not sort of foisting this on the community. The the city is acting as if it is hearing people's concerns. Uh, It is not a case that I know of that the city could simply turn on the red light and make it go away it it isn't that
1: simple that's for sure well said mm-hmm. let's go to uh, lonnie murray hey lonnie he's, he's got a comment for you yeah uh, density cannot just be a density of housing it needs to be livable and that means access to green space i am fine with buying that from wendell wood However, they could use state-enabled authority to offer transfer of development rights instead for wood to develop by right elsewhere at higher density. I want to touch on that at all?
0: Uh, so um, I can't speak to the legality of the instrument that Lonnie named, but having um, having more density in right places and protecting natural areas and limiting density in highly sensitive areas is absolutely what, what good planning is about. Um, I, I mentioned a little micro version of that earlier that even within the site, the location of the density matters. and it,
1: It's not being located well in my view. Uh, he has a follow for you. Um, Peter is right as well that even FEMA estimates regarding flooding regarding flooding aren't fully accounting for the increase in storm events. Also, each time we fill a floodplain, we're pushing flooding downstream. That's the point the, all, the owner of Charlottesville Glass and Mir made to me, that if we do this density, if we do this apartment complex in this area, it's gonna cause problems downstream. I, we'll get that for you. Lonnie also says, as more and more of the watershed is paved, there is more stormwater runoff that also contributes to flash floods. Lonnie also says, this is not academic or hypothetical. Two of my neighbors were killed by a flash flood of a creek in Almoral County.
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, first of all, you know, uh, huge sympathy to you, Lonnie. And I know a lot of other people lost friends in that same event that you're talking about. Um, uh, what he said is correct, um, And I don't think that Lon even said this explicitly, but it's one of my concerns, is that the developed section of this project is almost entirely impervious. It's crazy. Why is there a surface parking lot? That that parking could be tucked under and have less impervious surface that way. Um, And then uh, I think it is true that when a floodplain is reduced and it's volumetric remembering this is a three-dimensional thing when there's less place for floodwaters to go they go somewhere else where maybe they didn't before Um, I haven't run any kind of model to see what this would do perhaps someone
1: could run that model it would be interesting to see I've asked you guys to share the show to your Facebook pages 19 different people have now shared the show to their respective Facebook communities. Please continue that sharing. Vanessa Parkhill, the queen of Earliesville, watching the program, and she has this comment for Peter Krebs, who we love when he comes on this show. This is from Vanessa Parkhill. A week or so ago, I heard that government, I believe that includes the Fed, the state, and local, owns 31% of land in America. Is it really most beneficial for the city to outlay a ton of money to stop a buy right project and also take the property out of private ownership? Probably not from my standpoint. That's her comment right there. Um, anything you want to touch on that, or should we go to the next one? I, I You've mean, touched like, on it already. Yeah, it's yeah. A
0: policy question.
1: Yeah. She isn't she wrong, but it's a matter of opinion. It's a matter. Of, that's right. Vanessa, we appreciate that comment. If you could share the show, that would be amazing. Bashir is watching... Bashir, we miss seeing you on the downtown mall. He's got the voice of a songbird. Thank you kindly for watching the show. Um, what's the ideal play here? You've touched on this. Give us the 30 to 45 second ideal scenario. you got the high street neighborhoods. you got local government with limited tax dollars. you got a private developer that understands how to make a deal and negotiate. And you got a city that's using policy to try to create more density to breed affordability. What's the ideal scenario here?
0: So, um, I I don't have to list a whole hierarchy of different middle scenarios. So I'll just give my ideal scenario would be to find a way for there to be housing on that location, not intruding in the floodway and um, really minimizing the impervious surface. Like housing, having more housing is gonna create some impervious surface. But that doesn't mean we should have big surface parking lots. That would be
1: my ideal. Um, You're getting a lot of people agreeing with you. Deep Throat says, why the giant parking lot in these designs? Obviously, to scare the rubes. Wood is smart. It's a leverage play. That's why the giant parking lot. That's his opinion.
0: I've heard heard other um, speculations than that as to the reason why. But, Um,
1: Waynesboro's Finest says, Kevin Yancey, I've personally seen the Rivanna River within a foot of the old bridge in the 1970s. Grant Cosner's entire body shop was underwater in the 1970s. Cosner Brother Body Shop about this question on High Street? God, I love when you come on the program. The program scintillates over here, okay? Um, High Street, I've called on this show the most underperforming corridor of the city, maybe next to Cherry Avenue. I live in the Keswick area. I come down Pantops. I jump on High Street to drive to downtown Charlottesville. I'm on this road twice a day, almost every day. Every day, almost. Right the sidewalk is not uniform right families with kids are legitimately playing frogger going from one side of the parking lot to the other or one side of the sidewalk to the other the bush the hedges if you call them hedges i think they're almost weeds are overgrown where they have to step in the road to walk around them you have we have video footage of a vehicle intentionally hitting a bicyclist that made the news. Right. We've had... One of the parking lots is a cut-through to that neighborhood over there to the point where a police cruiser has to stay there to prevent the cut-through from happening. It's supposed to be 25 miles an hour. Very few are going 25. Maybe I fall victim to that as well. High Street, what do you make of this? What would you like to see? Underperforming, yes. How do we fix it? Um,
0: so underperforming in, in a whole host of ways as you described um, I I think for me the primary concern so there's like issues you described issues with like how long it takes to get through there um, you have talked about like behavior issues there especially with pedestrians and bikers excuse me no problem no problem <laughs> And um, can we yeah. get him do you need more water no he's good no, i okay. good and you you talked about safety and and I think the the safety question is paramount because we're we're talking about lives at stake, right What is the economic value of one human life like arguably incalculable, but certainly like I'd say that's fair 100%. hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars I say millions of dollars for one human life yeah. right. So, and the, the infrastructure there is, is, to say it's incomplete, is a ridiculous understatement. There's, uh, y- you know, no continuous sidewalks. Um, I think a solution I would like to see, well, number one, there is a sort of, uh, work that's being done there now. I think it's important to recognize some people in the community. Maybe some who are watching, like Kevin Cox, for example, has been a real minch, like fighting for this to be a safe. Um, that was a Yiddish
1: word right there. We I, try to get the Yiddish words in. That was a good yeah, one.
0: I, you know, I try to help out Kevin good. and you know so many other people like who are actually standing out, acting as crossing guards. The city is doing some temporary things. But we need permanent solutions, and I would also like to see, in the meantime, uh, doing what we can do quickly. So for example, there is a, if not already, it's about to happen, another sidewalk section by the AT&T building, um, uh, and then I think we can sort of connect to the throughput question, and. Ultimately, I would like for that to be a corridor where many people travel in cars, walking, and bikes, but slow and steady. I love I it. I think that's the way to do to take care
1: of that. Uh, Vanessa Parkhill says this, and I've seen this from one, two, three, four, six—at least that I can count—six different commenters have said something similar. Um, Peter brings a a lot of knowledge and thoughtful perspectives. I very much enjoy when he is a guest on your talk show. I concur. Thank you. Um, so much we got to cover here at the 138 marker. Um, we'll go to the next topic, um, this one right here is Biscuit Run. So we want to do Biscuit Run. I want to cover all these because okay. he's got a wealth of information. So we'll go even more up-tempo, and this is pretty up-tempo. We're going to do an update on Biscuit Run Park in Almore County. He knows the park like the Pope knows Holy Water. We're going to do Freebridge Lane, um, close to vehicle traffic, turning into a pedestrian, bicycle, and scooter promenade. Mm-hmm. I love the word promenade. We're going to do an update on the shared use path along Route 20, and we're going to get... Peter's take on Charlottesville upzoning and rezoning and Almore County's comprehensive plan. Let's try to go two minutes on each. Okay. Let's go. Biscuit run park.
0: So I would say biscuit run is is the one we'll maybe want to spend a little more time okay. on, a little okay. more complicated. So I don't I'm not a county spokesperson, but the latest update I've heard from my counterparts at the county, and they use specific words, I'll do the best I can. We can expect a soft launch opening of Bisca Run this fall. And they expect to have, um, here's where the precise word matters, something like um, uh, uh, substantial completion of the phase one pieces in the spring. So that'll be like parking lot being done, uh, comfort stations, I think, and uh, trails and a maintenance yard. So That's awesome. So, yeah, so, so that's the update from the county. Um, then an um, update I can share uh, about something that I've been working on. I've been working with uh, the county, a number of departments within the county, um, Habitat for Humanity and the engineering firm Lining and Grade and, and others as well, to figure out how we can accelerate getting an entrance to Biscayne Run Park on Hickory Street. So
1: This has been huge. You've been championing this for a yes, while.
0: Yes. Tell um, them why. Well, so right now, the, this phase one I described of, of Bisco Run Park would be almost entirely accessible mainly by car. On Route 20, no sidewalk. Like, nobody's going to be walking or biking to this future main entrance. Because you could die. Right. It's unsafe. But Biscuit Run Park adjoins a number of neighborhoods where people will be able to pop right into the park. And it adjoins Southwood along Hickory Street. So in theory, people can see Biscuit Run Park standing there on Hickory Street or standing inside Southwood. You can see Biscuit Run Park. But unfortunately, the stream that the park is named after is uncrossable in that section. It's almost like there's a moat on the western side of the park separating folks from uh, on Hickory or, or in Bisca in Southwood from getting to the park. It's like a World War I trench. It, it's nasty. Um, so although the park will nominally be open in the fall and then in the spring, it's going to be really hard for folks from Southwood to get in there. So we've been working with the county to accelerate a uh, bridge. They do have planned for a future connection over the stream. That's scheduled for, I believe, 2028. We've been working with the county to uh, get that moved up to 2025. So that's where lining grade comes in. We've identified an optimal location for the bridge. And in the process, we also worked closely with the county who they're restoring that section of Bisco Run. So it's not gonna be like a World War I mode anymore. They're doing that in 2025. We don't want them to do a stream restoration in 2025 and then tear it up in 2028 to build a bridge. Right. So, so let's get the two, um, two projects aligned and let's have them in 2025. Last I heard, uh, there are very productive discussions within uh, county staff about how to make that happen. Hope to have
1: more updates soon. You are a gem. Let's go, you're going to like the comments here. Um, Jennifer says, bring this guest back. He is a wealth of knowledge on things that no one else is covering in this community. She says, where else can we find this information? I don't want to speak for you, but I believe you guys do a good job of spotlighting this on the Piedmont Environmental Council. Yeah, they,
0: they could go to our uh, website, pecva.org, and for these connectivity questions, add um, backslash Seville
1: Greenways, all one word. Lonnie Murray, your Biscuit Run um, commentary, he's got a response for you. You have um, two supervisors watching you here. A big problem with Biscuit Run right now is that it's kind of the Wild West. There are currently lots of illegal trails being built, and there are sensitive habitats there which should not have trails through them. There also needs to be better management of invasive species. When he's talking about the trails, I know him firsthand. I may or not have been on some of these. There's a considerable, and and he's a proponent, Peter, of mountain biking, but he's a proponent of mountain biking on legitimate trails. Right. Legitimate trails. Right. Um, I have ridden some of these trails in Biscuit Run. They're awesome, um, but technically not legal trails. I would encourage anyone that does want to do mountain biking on that side of the county to go to Walnut Creek instead of Biscuit Run Park. Your thoughts on what Lonnie just said. Uh,
0: so Lonnie highlighted uh, why there's urgency to have this become an official park.
1: Because people already ra- know about it.
0: Rather than an, yeah. an unofficial Wild westy um, trespass zone. Uh, just a quick aside, I'd also recommend uh, bikers to go visit the Hayward Community Forest, which is out Reservoir Road. That's that's an amazing uh, place to um, walk or bike or run. I go there quite a lot. But to Lonnie's other point, um, controlling invasive species is is part of the plan with um, Biscuit Run Park. What he's highlighted is a real problem throughout the whole area certainly not limited to Biscayne run park i'd also like and this is a little bit related to that you called me a gem or a plum or something a gem. before a gem. thank you for that but you know who's really a gem is the southwood residents themselves like they're um i was very fortunate um to be invited to take part in a trail clearing day that they had, I wanna say two weeks ago. My goodness, like the, the amount of progress the, the residents made uh, astounded me. They, uh, it went from this, uh, I think I can say officially sketchy, you know, trail defined only by people's footsteps brambles all over the place they created a six foot wide corridor where people of all ages can walk side by side with each other Um, so it's that's habitat for humanity really employing their sweat equity principle and they can do a lot but we're going to need
1: help from the county to get that bridge peter krebs Brigham knowledge a few more topics here at the 147 marker free bridge lane close to vehicle traffic
0: yep so, so this one can be kind of fast. Not my project. Albemarle County has um, completed a conceptual uh, a, a process to figure out a concept for Freebridge Lane not having cars on it. Freebridge Lane for, your, for our listeners, um, is the little section that connects um, the back door, if you will, of Dardentel Park and comes out on 250 right at at Freebridge. That's why it's Freebridge Lane. All along the river, very popular place to walk and bike. Not that many people drive there because it it doesn't go, really, anywhere. Um, there, There is at least one residence there. But actually, the resident of the place was in favor of this project. So the county is is figuring out a way to not have cars there and over time uh, create a promenade that uh, people be able to walk bike roller skate etc it's a good chunk of Greenway I want to say it's about half a mile long um, all along the Rivana very beautiful and I'm excited to um, see how it develops because I think they're, this is a case where they're not going to let perfect be the enemy of good. They're going to start just, I don't know, putting planters to block traffic and, and over time letting that
1: develop into really a marquee spot. I love it. I love the word promenade. I love that word. Um, Can you give us an update, please, Peter, on the shared use path? I always mess that up. I'll start it again. An update on the shared use path along Route 20. Yeah. So
0: um, some of the the viewers will remember a couple years ago, uh, there was a plan to connect the city of Charlottesville to PVCC and the Monticello Trail via a shared-use path down the median of Route 20. That idea was um, chosen because it um, avoids the on-ramps to 64, but it's not a nice space because there are cars whizzing by on both sides. Drainage is problematic, and also there's a memorial grove of trees there that... Uh, moving them might have been possible but it would have put them at risk and a lot of people put uh, a lot talk about sweat equity into that That so, so that idea was shelved and um, sent back to the drawing board if you will um, Albemarle County's transportation staff um, hired a, a firm also lining grade to uh Suggest ways that there could be a shared use path that this would be for walking, biking, scooters, strollers, wheelers, all that stuff, on on each side of Route 20, so not in the median. What are the advantages, disadvantages? They they posted these designs and there have been public meetings and comments about it. Then at Uh, This coming Board of Supervisors meeting, so that's going to be next Wednesday at 4 p.m. It's 4 p.m. on the agenda. Uh, Jessica from the county is going to present these two options. She's going to, I'm sure, give staff's analysis and also uh, summarize the public feedback that they've received. Uh, Albemarle Board of Supervisors will um, offer their comments. And after that time, uh, back to the drawing board one more time for a singular design for solving this gap that drives me crazy, our most popular trail. Maybe half a million people using that a year. And you got to drive your car half a mile to get there from Charlottesville. It's insane. Oh, and by the way, PVCC is there too. And by the way, Albemarle is going forward with a roundabout at 53 and 20 that is going to include a shared use path from that intersection, I think almost all the way to Monticello High School. So we're going to have this most important gap be the one that remains. And we'll see some solutions next week about how we might
1: solve that. Great knowledge right mm-hmm. there. And the last one, his take on upzoning and rezoning in mm-hmm. the city of Charlottesville. Upzoning and rezoning. Um, Peter very much put rezoning on there. It's not all upzoning. And how it may or may not influence Albemarle County and its comprehensive plan.
0: Right. So, So the macro thing, the most important thing that that is essential, this is PEC's bedrock, right, is that rural areas should be protected for farming, forestry, natural systems, and uh, protection of clean water, the list goes on and on. And people ought to live in compact, walkable, highly livable communities. Like, it's the exact formulation that Lonnie described. so what that means is areas that are designated for development ought to be developed, provided that the site allows it. We, we spent like nine hours just now talking about how certain sites are better than others. but um, So what that means is that for uh, getting ahead of climate change, um, keeping people's commutes short and reasonable, and that means more time with their families, Uh, protecting our water quality, and a whole host of other environmental benefits. It means we need people to live in Charlottesville and the urban sections of Albemarle County. And so what that is going to mean is certain sections of Charlottesville will need to accept more residences. Certain parts of Albemarle's uh, designated growth areas will be and need to receive more residences and businesses and all, all those other good things. So, so that's why um, PEC and a number of other organizations, maybe 30 organizations, came together and uh, co-signed a letter to City Council uh, calling for uh, what I described. Um, more dense housing within Charlottesville uh, yes walkability good connectivity and affordability so um, that letter is available I think still for co-signers and you can probably the easiest way to find that is to go to the livable Seville website so so broadly speaking um, we're in favor of having um, uh more folks living in Charlottesville, but the details do matter. They, You know, there need to be plenty of trees. There needs to be good walking and biking infrastructure. Um, parks, you know, excellent schools. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what I will say, though, is all that stuff is going to have to evolve together. I, I do want to just point out to some of my fellow environmental advocates that we, we cannot wait on the infrastructure to have more density in Charlottesville. Because if we do that, the density is going to happen out in rural areas where there's really no infrastructure and
1: so Neil have, Williamson's made that point many times on this yeah, show
0: we, we have to, we just have to be urgent across multiple things and we can solve multiple problems all
1: at the same time Peter you are a breath of fresh air man mm-hmm. like I sincerely mean this uh, interviewer's dream um, Peter Krebs from the Piedmont Environmental Council um, why don't we close with you offering how the viewers and listeners can follow your content engage with the content and learn more about what we've covered on the show.
0: Yeah, so um, uh, you, you shared my Twitter handle PKNVA um, uh, we talked about PC's website PECVA.org and you can get to the connectivity stuff by adding backslash Seaville Greenways um, also there's a lot of people on Facebook following this we actually have a very fun and decently active Facebook group where I share all of these updates and you can find that by searching um, uh, Facebook, type in Charlottesville Greenways in the search bar and you'll
1: probably find it that way. Thank you. I'll, I'll post a link in, in the chat later. I appreciate that. The, yep. show, uh, the show is literally live right now on 15 Facebook pages Um, Just as many Twitter accounts on LinkedIn, YouTube, and will be archived on all social channels. His name is Peter Krebs. He, every time he comes on this network, exceeds expectations, like legitimately exceeds expectations. When you see Peter Krebs around town, stop him, say hello, introduce yourself. Loves meeting new people Yeah, and and talking about the community and the projects that are out there. Um, Please, please, I sincerely mean that. Um, i'll give you 15 seconds of an update on what's coming on the program next week is a week that is filling up quickly mike pruitt who I, i i can say is going to be the board of supervisor for the scottsville district he's running unopposed he's going to be on the show on tuesday Wednesday, T.J. Faddeley, do you know how to pronounce this last, is it Faddeley? T.J. Faddeley is running for Board of Supervisors, Almar County Rivanna District. He does have opposition. It's the incumbent, B. Lapisto who is seeking a second term. So we'll introduce you to T.J. Faddeley on Wednesday. Thursday, it's the mayor, Lloyd Snook, on the program. We've already booked in August the new CEO and president of the Chamber of Commerce, I randomly ran into her in front of the studio today, um, and that's Natalie Massery. She'll join us Thursday, August 10th, and we have connections um, and conversation currently percolating with Donna Price, uh, Board of Supervisor, Al County, um, and another city councilor, a state senator, has reached out to us as well. All we want to do is welcome folks of all different ideologies and walks of life and have conversation with them. We can disagree, but we're going to do it in golden rule fashion. Mm-hmm. For Peter Krebs and Judah Wickower, my name is Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville show. We'll see you tomorrow at 10, 15 a.m. for Real Talk, a show that spotlights real estate and the life of and pursuit of financial independence through good decision-making. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long. Peter, you killed it. You Thank amazing. you. He's going to tell us when the mics are off here. They are on currently.